Last time we spent some time on um, the Pasuk about um, her sending her hands away. That was Pasuk Yotes. We said that's a strange expression for your hands because your hands are attached to you. You don't really send them. I would say she uses or she works maybe it's an interesting usage and he, he says it more than once shilcha and so we gave an answer we said that her attitude is she doesn't expect anything in return so like if you give something away and you want someone to return it you write your name on it and you kind of you know you phone number whatever so that the person can return it but if you don't want them to return it you kind of when you give it away you're sending it you're thinking i'll never see this again and that's that's what i want so her attitude to her chesed is like here, I'm giving. And we said, we said that, that that's kind of like it says in Pirkei Avos, that the best attitude, the, the attitude of Sodom is what's mine is mine and what's yours, what's yours is mine, right? In, in Mishnah, in, in uh, Pirkei Avos, Pirkei. And the medium attitude is yours is yours and mine is mine. And the best attitude, the best mida is yours is yours and mine is yours. And we asked, wait a second, one second. Like at the end of class, we asked, is that realistic? Is that what we should expect of ourselves? That we have no, I don't own anything. You could take any of my stuff. I don't even lock my doors. I want people to come in and steal my candelabra when I'm sleeping. Like, is that really what Mishnah Perkevos is asking of us? No, no. The Torah never asks us to be beyond human. Do you know that? The Torah does not ask us to be beyond human. The Torah, we, we say, why don't you say Asher Yatsar every time you sneeze or blow your nose? Because it's also Hashem, you know, and the, and the answer is Hashem is not a tyrant. Hashem is not a tyrant. Do you know that? Hashem is not a tyrant. He doesn't expect us to do things that you can't do. The Torah is Dachi Noam. The Torah is a pleasant thing. It's pleasant. It makes your life sweeter. It may challenge you. But it doesn't make you do things that you can't do. Isn't that an important principle? Not everybody knows that. That the Torah is not a tyrant. Hashem is not a tyrant over us. Telling what that sentence that what about in a terunia al bnei adam or al habrios that is said in the answer to why don't you have to say asher every time you breathe or yeah you sneeze or you blow your nose and the answer is because that's not livable. That's not livable. You can't do that. Hashem gives it to us at a livable um, amount, right? So, so um, we're not being asked just like have no needs and give everything away. That wouldn't be a healthy life, right? We're, ex- we're expected to give and I wouldn't say take, we're expected to give and receive. Just like we exhale and inhale and exhale and inhale, we need to give and also receive. But see, here's the, what, the part that we were like a little stuck on is that you don't give in order to receive. We don't say, I'll give you something for your birthday just as long as you give me something for my birthday, if that's what someone cares about. Or, you know, I'll, I'll um, make you suffer. These ladies, you know, when they have, you know, well, young women, they have a baby. So I'll make you suffer when you have a baby because I know you'll make me suffer when I have a baby. Because uh, 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 then the suffer's not going to be right. Well, I gave five pieces of chicken and you only gave four. This is not fair. Once we're getting into the tit for tat thing, it's not going to be good. So let me explain what the giving and receiving does look like. What it means is that we... Give understanding that the giving itself is receiving, that it makes you have a good life when you give. I make supper for you because I can. I make supper for you because I know it helps you. And it's a pleasure to do kind things because when I do kind things, my life is better. Can you hear how different that is than I make you suffer because you're going to make me suffer? 
What if she doesn't? Or what if hers is not as good as yours, right? So rather, I make supper for you because it helps you, because it's good, because it's chesed, and chesed is good. Chesed is like Hashem. Chesed is, is, is kind, and it makes the world better. And Hashem is a Baal Chesed, so we're the Baal Chesed. We try to copy him. It's so different, and I have to say, I think I mentioned this before Pesach, how many times in my life I got an opportunity to do something because it came up, and it came back to me in multiples, in spades, people say. I, 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 and whenever I realize it, I'm always amazed when I, oh, we talked about this. I remember we had a discussion where people were saying about people in their family who gave and it came back. It's just an amazing topic when you start noticing it. How many times I've, I've realized, oh my gosh, when that thing came up, of course I was going to do it because it came up and it was in, it fell into my lap. And of course I was going to do it. And a few years later, it could be decades later, something happened where that person was like connected to us because they were connected to us from earlier and they did something in return. But you don't do so that the person will do back. The giving is the receiving because giving makes you godly. Giving makes you a healthy person. Giving makes the world beautiful. Giving is expanding yourself. We all know that amazing feeling that we have when we give. I hope everyone has tasted it. I'm sure all of you have. But that feeling, you know, you're walking to your, you know, friend's house who just moved in and you're helping her unpack. Or, you know, like Mr. Shem, when you're going to, you know, be in you know, newly married and your friend has a baby and you make her a beautiful supper, you give it, you feel this feeling inside that you cannot compare to anything else. It's great to go to an amusement park and ride the rides. That's also fun if you like that. It's not for me, but if that's fun for you, then enjoy. I'm not saying you shouldn't do it, but there's an expansion that you feel when you give that is like nothing matches it. It's an awesome feeling. And that's why people who don't have Torah, they also know they want to give and they'll go to like faraway countries and take care of the poor people because they know they want to give. They know they want to live just for themselves. And, and they have it because a human being feels that desire to give, even if they didn't read it in the Torah. It's a natural state of the neshama to desire to give. People want to give unless they shut it down, unless they're so traumatized or so angry or so broken or so beaten down that they have no capacity to give. But the natural human desire is to give. And B'nai Yisrael are Bale chesed. We come from Avram Avinu. We have, a, we have a chesed gene. So we love to give. And when you give, you feel so good. That's not letting someone steal your candelabra. That's not chesed. That's corruption. You hear what I'm saying? Giving doesn't mean making yourself like a carpet for people to step on, a doormat, as they say. It doesn't mean that. Because like we said, if, if you would like leave your doors unlocked and say anyone who wants could just take anything, that is corruption. That's Hamas. That's what the world was destroyed for. But giving is me by my rut zone. I say, hey, you have a need. I'm going to try to fill it in my best, to, to the best of my ability. That's chesed. That's not corruption. So that's beautiful. Corruption is corruption. It's not beautiful. Yeah, there was some hands up. Um, do you know? Uh, yeah, I just want to say we, know, you, we also know that like people who can't give like up in Toho or Children are also like, oh, uh, I see. So that's that's, that's mm, right. The thing. right, 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 right. How's that song go? This life was meant for living. Living only starts when you're giving. <laughs> yeah, this morning. Yeah, it's a it's a really nice thing. It's a really beautiful thing to keep in mind. What's your life like if you're only receiving or only just hold? Forget about receiving, not giving or receiving. Just closing yourself from people and saying, I'm protecting myself and my stuff and my time. Like there's a lock around it, a cage. That's not a life. For most people, people can sense that. Yeah, yeah. Um, we like learned in Hamish this year about like, um, I don't remember exactly what the topic was, but it was like that when you like teach Torah, you don't like lose. You just that was most yeah. like, like a flame. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, yeah. It's not all like with like physical things. Like I think we learned with Mrs. Schwab that like I don't know. I, 
it was like that you you don't like for physical things like you don't lose really but Oh, in Anya Nashir. Oh, right, because that stays with you. Interesting. So there's, we need to balance this with the concept that we're not expected to like not have ownership over things and to not think that anything is ours. Before we teach a child to share, we need to teach a child that they own. You can't tell a kid to give away their things before they have a sense that they actually have things that they don't have to give away. It's not fair. It's, it's like tyrants type of behavior, like share this, share that. And they're two years old and they don't even feel that they have anything that they can control or keep, can keep over, like have a bilis over is the Hebrew Yiddish word for it, like to be the Baal over it. We can only teach sharing once we've taught owning. So it's not so simple. Like just give everything away. Like I said, like leave your doors unlocked, let people steal your stuff. You know, don't have, you know, do work without being paid. Are we asked to work without being paid? No, no, we're not asked to work without being paid. And we're asked, we're expected to, to ask for the money that makes our time worthwhile. That's part of respecting yourself. So it's the, all these, all these things have a few principles governing them. One principle is when you give, you receive. One principle is what the only money you, you, that's really yours is what you use to help other people or give away. Um, Another principle is you need to be responsible over your stuff and not just like spread it, you know, throw your coins out the window, throw your dollars out the window. Another rule is we can't ask a child to share before they've had a chance to have something they don't need to share. Um, There's a lot of principles governing this idea. So we want to be very balanced and not ask ourselves to do something that's not doable. Like just don't care about your stuff. Give it away. Give it away. First of all, it might not be your stuff when you're not a wage earner and you're a teen and your parents pay for your stuff. It's not your stuff to give away. That's one. Two, even when you are the earner, you're not going to be giving things away unless you, you know, it's balanced and and it makes sense and it works and it's, you know, it's with 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 a cheshven, with an understanding. Like I'm choosing to make this supper for my friend, even though I know she may not make me anything, or I'm not in the stage to be receiving suppers, or she might not be able to give anything at all equal to this, or she'll just throw something, you know, she'll just not give something equal or something like that. That's that's it has to be with an understanding, not like you know, I don't care, it doesn't bother me. No, no, no. I get it. She's not gonna be able to give back to me in this way and I'm giving for the sake of giving but it is amazing when you notice when you give you have this most expanded incredible feeling which is your neshama telling you you did something beautiful and very often it comes back but we don't do it for the sake of it coming back yeah um Tina yeah we're discussing this also by Purim about Michelle Kamada that some people give to get and that like you have to recognize it's not you're not giving to get yeah yeah you're giving to yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I know. We've had we give it something that a lot of people like a lot of years, and they so we've had people say like, "Hey, you didn't come by with your shabbos," and we're like, "Are we like? Is it, you like waiting for it? Like, it's not really how it works. It's a day of giving, not really a day of receiving." Right. Yeah, kind of. it's interesting. Like people say, "Oh, it's like Halloween." It's like, no, it's really not. First of all, it's not worshiping witches. That's number one. <laughs> Halloween is not even Christian. It's um pagan. Second of all, no, we don't go around saying, give me food, trick or treat. We say, can I give this to you? Happy Purim. A little different. Okay. Um, so, um, we were, so, so that now we explain that she sends her hand away and she doesn't like, she's, she's like ready to give. She understands like, this is what makes my life beautiful. She gives and a giving person. Oh, this is what I know. I want to say one more thing. And in, there are people who have trouble receiving but if they look twice they'll notice they also have trouble giving 
it's interesting because sometimes people think like, um, oh, no, I only, only give, 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 give away. But it's a certain kind of giving, like just to put me on top or to make me feel like I'm not the nebbish one who needs to take. But okay, let me rephrase that in a more accurate way. In order to really be able to give properly, we need to be able to receive also. So sometimes I'll hear at Leviah's, it's interesting what you hear at Leviah. Some things are a little bit of a corruption and they're not necessarily Jewish. There was, she had, there was nothing about her. She didn't need anything for herself. It sounds beautiful. And it could be, it was beautiful, but it's not exactly what we should be aiming, um, aiming for. Hashem made yourself because you're a very important person in the world. So yeah, she wasn't selfish. She wasn't going around stealing or grabbing. She wasn't all about, you know, luxuri- luxuriating in comfort all the time. She was accomplishing but whoever she was, you know, but the idea, like it was nothing about her, only about her husband. Eh. Okay. You know, who knows? Maybe it was great in that person. That's not something we should be striving for. We need to take care and realize we're important too. And Hashem made us as a person in the world that there is no one before like before us or after us or had our, like, like us. And we are unique and we have something to do in this world. And it's not like, oh, I don't need anything. Just take it for Tati. I don't need anything. Just whatever. That's not ideal. It's not ideal. I know it gets praised a lot, you know, obituaries and Leviathan and whatever. But I, like I said, it could be they mean something different, but I don't think that we need to strive for that. Oh, she had no needs. Everything was about the other person. I see where that came in. But actually the Torah wants us to understand Take care so that you can take care. Take care of yourself so you can take care of others. If you don't nourish yourself, if you don't take care of your needs, if you're not realistic about your limitations, no one is going to benefit. And and by the way, let's say there's a mother. She has no limits. Everyone could walk all over her. She works day and night. She doesn't ask anyone for help. Is that good for her family? Forget about her. Is that good for her children? I've seen families like that. What kind of kids does it produce? Selfish. Yeah. Yeah, mother's standing there washing dishes and they're chatting and eating popcorn and schmoozing and the mother's like working hard. Is that a nice type of a way to raise a child? It's not good for the child, let alone the mother. It's not healthy. Imagine a boy that was raised like that and his wife is going to be doing the same as his mother. He'll be like, yep, that's your job and this is my job, you know, smoking a cigar or whatever. No, no, no. That is not the way that we're supposed to behave. We're supposed to participate. And if we see someone working, we're supposed to help them. And we're not supposed to act like we are princes in that regard and princesses in that regard. So, um, so she, she realized that she sends her hand away in a healthy way. Okay. So it's good to know how to give and to receive. If someone can't receive a compliment, they probably won't be able to give a compliment. If someone can't receive a gift, they probably won't be able to give a gift or they just give, 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 give to be in charge. Sometimes we want to give so that we won't be on the bottom. You know, sometimes I feel like I'll write a thank you note to like clear the account. And that's not the right reason to write a thank you note. Write a thank you note because it's proper derach eretz. Not to clear the account. Like Leah Imenu, she said, and I'm not asking for more. I'm saying thank you, not so that he could give me more. Because sometimes we say thank you or we give something so that to keep the exchange right. But really, we want to be able to receive graciously and give graciously, not with cheshbon stuff. Now I'm going to get back. Now I'm going to get it back. Yeah. Sometimes you could like get a gift from someone and it doesn't feel good. Like they, they it feels like they like are altering your motives. Yeah, it's just like bad for everyone. Right, exactly. We we, we want to give graciously and openly, not right with a, an ulterior motive, not um with a, a not with a calculation. Yeah, exactly. And and yeah, sometimes you it's. There's all different reasons why it would be hard to receive, hard to give. And what we're saying is the ideal is to be able to do both. Let's say with compliments, people who cannot receive a compliment and cannot give one. 
And people, some people are very happy to give a compliment because they really see the good in people and they see the good in themselves too. So they're able to receive as well. So that's a nice trait that's, you know, it's, these things usually go in balance, but it's, they, we don't do it in order to receive it, but we need to know how to receive it. That's how I, how I would put it. The next message we're doing is a different topic. It's Chaf Aleph, and that is about um, the snow. So we learned, let's just say what snow meant in all the layers. In layer one, snow meant, you could just call out. You don't have to raise your hand. Layer one, snow was, um, I think it was just cold weather. Okay, in layer two, that would be sorry, Menu. What was um, snow? Yeah, uh, well, that was layer. Oh no, you're right. Layer two was not sorry, Menu, and it was right. It was Rachav. It was all the different women. That's right. And so yes, it was the attack of the Jewish army on her city of Yericho. Snow was an attack, like an army attacking. Layer three was Avram's husband for Sarah. So there, Snow was Gehenna. Yeah. Layer four, I don't think we said it, the Torah. And so in layer five, Snow is any t- type of, yeah, I would say it's Gehenna or any type of like bad outcomes. Lo sira mishalek. This Aisha Schayel is not afraid for her family from bad outcomes, like, you know, punishment or whatever, because... She insulates her home. So in layer one, she literally insulated her family. She bought them coats and boots. In layer five, we'll expand it to say she thinks about what she brings into her family. Sure, it's convenient to plop your kid in front of an iPad and have them babysat day and night. You don't have to interact with them, and they behave perfectly because they're just glued to the screen. But is that going to be good for your children's development? No, it is not. I can Anyone, the Academy of Pediatrics can tell you that. And for sure, a person who wants to raise their child to have your Shammai is not going to just plop them in front of media all the time. So that's an example, right? That she, she's careful what she brings into her home. And she realizes, hey, I'm the first filter. I'm the first line of defense. What I use as entertainment for my family, where I bring my kids. I have to not just think about my convenience and my fun. I have to think about... What's going to have a good influence on my children? And then the second filter will be the children's own ability to make decisions as they get older. And the third is, you know, I guess the lifestyle choice, or maybe I don't know the order, but the first line is the mother has to decide what she brings into her home. She has to think what she, how she wants to set up her home. And while it's true that the world, you know, it's true that there stuff exists everything's out there and easily available, but that doesn't mean that she has to like leave it to just, you know, a two-year-old or a 10-year-old or a 15-year-old is not necessarily able to make all those choices. As someone comes to be an adult, the parent realizes, I'm not guarding him anymore. I'm not, I'm not keeping an eye on him. He's 25 years old. I'm not watching him. Now it's up to him, but that's not when he's 15. You know, even with brain development, the, the baby has only the, the bottom, you know, the, the, like the reptile brain developed. They only have like fight or flight basically. And as we get older, we get, you know, the emotional brain start to develop and only at 18 or so is the neocortex developed. And the person's really able to make judgment. You girls are probably more mature than that. It could be that it develops faster when people have like a Torah education or different. I'm sure it's not exactly 18 for everybody, but the brain development even is not there to expect a 12 year old to have a smartphone and to know like how to choose without you know some assistance like it's really not even even on a medical even on a brain science level it's not possible to be able to have like those those filters in place at a younger age as people mature they are more and more able to 
think things through. And of course, your Yetzirah is with you till the day you die. But you, at a certain age, it's like, I'm not supervising my kids. My daughter is married, you know, has her own family. She has internet in her place because she works online and she has all her guitar that she sets up. And like, I handed her my phone and like, I showed her my password and I'm like, yeah, she's a mom. She, you know what? She can take my phone and make the same decisions that I can because there's a certain place where we're not supervising our children anymore. But that's, you know, of course, it's more convenient to hand your two-year-old a phone. It's much easier, but that's not responsible. So she understands, like, of course my kids are going to have to be at a certain point able to make choices, and I am not going to be supervising them forever. And at 15, it's different than at 10, right? For sure. But I need to be smart and understand, like, I need to do some insulating before my children are able to do that for themselves. I mean, I think this is reasonable. I don't – you could – I had a Sichos class on Sunday about 25 years ago where I said something – of this type of thing. And a girl was very, very upset. And she said, this is not how my family lives. And I understand. She said, I really offended her. And I, you know, I didn't know that she's like, you're speaking against my family, my father, my mother. We all, at that time, it was like about TV. And like, I'm realizing like families do have different approaches to this and families do have different values with this. And I understand people are free to choose, you know, their family's lifestyle and choices, but this type of a thing one needs to realize that developmentally people are not at the same place as an adult as they are at age 12 with making choices with what they're going to let in and what you let in does affect you. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's like, like insulating the same thing as sheltering. So I guess it's semantics. Like, you know, you could argue yes or no, depending on how you define the word. But what I'm saying is I, I, if you're asking, tell me if this is what you're asking. If you shelter someone completely, they will not be prepared when life comes along. They're going to have to go into a doctor office. They're going to have to go into a passport office. They're going to have to interact. Most things are done online now, you know. So you, if you shelter completely and you make it like there is no world out there, people are going to be hit really hard with their challenges when those challenges come. So my personal opinion, and it's not really, you know, it doesn't have to be yours, is that, you know, we need to balance sheltering and, and insulating from exposing and preparing to life, for life. So people do that differently. Families, different communities, different families have different approaches. Some families think like, if you want your kid to be prepared for life, you got to expose them. That's true. And the question is to what degree, you know? So is insulating sheltering? Yes, no. But what I'm saying is, yeah, we need to shelter a certain amount, but we don't want to do it to the detriment of our children's abilities to make choices when they do face life. And I think that's true more than ever because stuff is more available than ever. So we want to kind of show like, yes, these things are there and I'm not going to be able to stop you from getting them. You need to think about how you want to live your life and what you want your life to look like. So you hear what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Like, One, yeah. I have a question. In this time, like when this was written, like what was the thing that they wrote in the that's such a great question. So, um, there, Yetzir Hara has been with us since Adam ate from the fruit of the tree of the Yetzirah. So the temptation would, there was, always, okay, so number one, the, 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 the um, desire, the, the Yetzir Hara, the place of the Satan, whatever, used to be between Hashem and people. So they, right, Ben Adam Mamako, that's where the place of the fight was. So people were tempted to worship idols and dismiss Hashem. In the time, like Shlomo Mal, first base on Mignosh, that's what it was destroyed for, was idol worship, um, you know, adultery, uh, adultery, I mean to say, and, and then murdering. Like, people actually had a Yitzhahara to forget that Hashem exists. It's hard to believe. In the time of the second base on Mignosh, the Yitzhahara moved to a new location between people, and there was hatred between people 
because they actually dismissed the importance of the other person, Rabbi Akiva students, Sfira, right? Today, I venture to say, and I've been learning about this, that the whole location of the fight is between a person and themselves. Lack of worth, lack of a feeling of value, lack of a sense of I matter and Hashem needs me in the world. And all the bad things that people do today are based on a Ben Adam La'atzmo fight. So it's interesting. Even if someone appears to have bad midos, they're actually lacking in their own wholeness. Like, I, you know, take an example. I mean, in this course that I'm taking where she gave me this idea, which is so incredible. She says, you see, uh, you know, let's say a man walking every day to his kolal, holding a sefer or sadikim, and he's studying about how bad kas is, how bad kas is. And then he comes home and he's angry because he's studying about it and he wants to fix himself, but it's his own heart that's insecure. His anger is coming from his own unsettledness in his heart, lack of roots, lack of foundation inside. And so this particular class, this class that I'm taking, her whole thing is, one of her main things is the location of the fight has moved from Ben Adam Lamakam long ago, Ben Adam Lachavero, you know, more recently, second base of marriage, and now it's all Ben Adam Laatzmo in the end of Gullus now, and all the fights need to be addressed here. Interesting. It's a big topic. We could go on about this for years and years. So um, that's my answer. So there was always, I mean, it wasn't available on a screen, but there was, look, even Yehuda went to a zona. Okay, he was supposed to, whatever. There was zonos, meaning women of, you know, like lack of boundaries, even in the earliest times. And they call it the world's oldest profession, I think. <laughs> you know, so there was those type of people around since the beginning. There's always been a yetzer. There's always been people want to have connections and they don't know how to get connections. That's what that sin is, right? People want to feel spiritual, but they don't know how to get it, and they're afraid of the gods. That's what idol worship is. There's always something good underneath everything bad, by the way. There's always a good desire underneath everything bad. If someone goes and commits adultery, it's because they want connection, but they are not getting it in the right way. Someone goes and worships an idol, which is not much of a temptation today, it's because they're afraid of the gods, which is a misunderstanding. It's a fear. You know, it's something good. I mean, keep yourself alive. It's a survival instinct. If someone, you know, um, hurts somebody else, it's because they want to feel important. That's a good need, but they don't know how to do it. Everything bad that we do, there's some real, like, it's a, it's a, there's something vulnerable underneath there's a, a need, a real, real need underneath, and we're not getting it the right way. So, okay, there's much more to talk about, as you can see. Okay, so that was Losir Lebeisabi Shalag Kichobetzalavush Shanim. Next pasuk, Chaf Beis. This one is going to bring up some perspectives that you probably have not received before, and it's talking about clothing. So it says it talks about how she clothes um, her household and herself. Marvadim. Remember, we said that means like. Tapestries or nice bedspreads. She makes for herself. Sheish and Argaman are her garments. So in other layers, we said Sheish and Argaman are royal, like Shlomo Melech's mother, Bacheva, or we said it was, um, um, we said the, um, Sarah, I think, or maybe it was a layer two or three that that's talking about the Kohen and, you know, the Mishkan. In this layer, it means beautiful clothing. Okay, layer five, pshat, beautiful clothing. She makes beautiful things. So, you know, you probably heard a lot of talk about, you know, don't look at the outside, choose a friend based on the inside, don't look at her, her brand names, and don't look at her, you know, how, how fancy she is or what kind of car their family drives. Look at the person, it's what inside that counts. You've heard a lot of that talk, and that's definitely true. However, it is true that what we wear has a significance as well. Clothing in this pasuk are emphasized because the Gemara in Chulin, um, 84B or Bays, 
So we have a Gemara here, Chulin, Gemara Chulin, 84b or Bays, you know, because there's two sides of the page, so it's AB or Alephi. Um, so the Gemara says something pretty interesting. I didn't know it before I prepared, you know, this class. A person should always eat and drink less than he can afford and dress as much as he can afford. Don't dress less than you can afford. Does that surprise any anybody? I, I would say it surprised me. Tell me what you would have thought it would have said. What do you think? The opposite. Okay. And so what do we say? Dress less than you can afford. Everybody does not have to know how well you're doing in business, right? Rashi says to avoid humiliation. It's important to dress as nicely as you can. Isn't that interesting? Dress as nicely as you can so that you can be proud. I know you're surprised. I would be. I mean, I'm get, I shouldn't say I know. I never know someone else's brain, but I would be surprised. Let's put it that way. I was surprised when I first saw this. I would really think, I think there's a lot of talk where people are very into clothes about toning it down. You know, don't, don't be so into it. It's not, it's a shtuyot. It's just your body. Your body is going to go into the ground after 120. What do you need to care so much about the outer stuff? It's so external. Don't be so external. Yeah. Don't be so external. Do have other interests. Do take care of your neshama and do dress as nicely as you can. Do That's what it says in the Gemara. Maybe we don't hold this way. I don't know. But I, you know, I mean, I, cause sometimes I'll teach something. I, I've had a one time I bring in some things and a student would talk to her father about it and he disagreed. And he sent me like open sfar and like with bookmarks, like to show me how I was wrong that we don't do that anymore. So maybe I'm wrong, but this is what I saw in the book that I used for this. It said a person should always, you know, eat and drink less than he can afford and dress according to what he can afford to avoid humiliation. So the idea is that there's two purposes of clothing. One is to cover what should be hidden. And that also includes to keep you warm. Like, so to protect, so to cover what should be hidden, meaning to keep you, your dignity. So like to cover the parts of your body that Jewish woman wants to cover to keep herself, you know, um, private, keep her dignity. And that includes also like to keep you warm or covered from the sun so you don't get burnt. That's the one purpose. The other purpose is to make known what should be known. Now let's think what that means. What does that mean, Nava? Face. So your face, to show you who you are and your hands. What does that mean? To make known that you are a woman and not a man. Yes, it should be visible that you are a woman. Isn't that interesting? Yes, cover what should be covered, meaning you're not going to be exposing your skin or your exact form because that's to cover what should be covered. But you want to also ex- make known what should be known, that you are a woman, not a man. That you are, well, what it meant over here is that you're not poor. Isn't that interesting? You shouldn't dress like you're poor if you're not poor. You shouldn't wear torn or stained clothing if you are not impoverished. You shouldn't wear raggedy things if you can afford not to. You should dress yourself in dignity so that you, it is known that you are a, a, a person who has the, can afford it. I think that sounds surprising. I think we're kind of taught a lot of times to downgrade this. Actually, we shouldn't downgrade it. We should put it in its right place. So um, clothes enhance our appearance. 
Amabish Arumim. We say that every day. Thank Hashem for making me look nice with clothing. Clothing enhance our appearance. If you ever, you know, got stuck without your suitcase or I don't know, at the end of the nine days where you don't have anything left or, you know, it's Tishabav and you didn't get dressed and you look in the mirror and you think like, oh, I don't like, I don't look my best. No, you should still respect yourself, but it's not, you know, or the third day of your so it's not about the clothes, but some other things. And you're like, hi, you know, you're like, I'm not going to meet anybody new today. Everyone wants to be fresh and uh, not everyone wants. That's, I need a career. There's no everyone. Most of us, it's a normal desire to want to be fresh. And you know what? A woman has a natural desire to be beautiful. A woman, a girl from a young age has a natural desire to be beautiful. And that's great. And I heard someone say, and I, and I think it's true. She said, if we take away from our girls their normal desire to be beautiful, we're also taking away from, from away from them sometimes their normal and natural instinct to be tzniastic. A woman has two things naturally built into her, the desire to be beautiful and the desire to be modest. Now, some people might say, what? Aren't those two the opposite? No, no. Being beautiful does not mean being immodest. You know that. You can see when a person is beautiful and modest, and you can see when a person is not beautiful and immodest. And sometimes a beautiful person is beautiful and immodest. I mean, very showy, whatever, you know. That's so interesting. It's such a different way of thinking about Sneas. The two things a woman is naturally born with are a desire to be beautiful and a desire to be Sneastic. And if we take away the desire to be beautiful, we tell the girl, it doesn't matter. Don't pay attention to that. We might be taking away her natural desire to be beautiful. Because sometimes if you see, I mean, to be Sneastic, because if you see someone who's like really not like doing her community's rules at Sneas, do you know what she's saying? Can you think what she's a bit down the kafskas? What's she really saying? If you see your friend and she's really breaching what she was taught. Okay, because different communities have different standards. But let's say within, you know where she was raised. And she's like, what is she saying? Kind of like the way you... Yeah, maybe it's ugly to her. Maybe And what else is she saying? She's saying... I don't have anything else that you should value me for except for my appearance or my body or my ability to choose these clothing. Look at me. Notice me. I'm special too. I am special too. Everybody wants to be special. Most of us are special in our connection to Hashem, in our kindness to our friends, in our relationships, in our self-expression, in our creativity. There are people who feel I'm not special except for my body. So look at me. I want you to see me. I'm, I want you to notice me. Or I am special, but no one appreciates me. So I have to show off in this way. Does this resonate once I said it? Can you hear that? So what the person needs is a huge dose of compassion. When a person is totally breaching her community standards... Have compassion. This person doesn't feel her inner her inner glow. She doesn't feel the the beauty of Malbish Arumim. She feels like she has to make herself Arum in some way. I have to make myself more naked so people will see me. Okay, you never know. There's always be exceptions. But this could be something to think about. When you see a girl showing herself in a way that her community does not agree with, she might be saying, I don't feel good. Someone look at me and make me feel good. Yeah. What are some of the nuts and 
private, and then maybe when they that day that they go to the show, or when they want to like when they go shopping, they don't want to go to the community to see so what does it you mean in private like at home well that that busha probably is a good thing it's respect in a way i think you know it's respect it's saying i'm not really holding here but i don't want to offend people around me or make any statements that anyone else needs to know about so when i go out i'm gonna respect the boundaries but at home i'm not up to it the main thing is we want our mitzvahs to be coming from a real place. Sure, Tzmias is very much about what we share with the outside world, but we want it to be re- arising from the inside, that when we say Malbish Arum, we're thanking Hashem that our clothing gives us dignity. And as you, now you're young and beautiful, but as you age, you might appreciate Malbish Arum even more. <laughs> you know, like, thank you that I don't have to walk around in a bathing suit. I really appreciate that. <laughs> you know, it's, 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 it's really a gift but I don't try to force these things down your throat. I'm not going to say, you better like me or else you're a bad girl. If it's a struggle for you, it's a struggle. That's very normal. It might not be. Like there's 10 girls in the room with maybe 10 different experiences. It might be a struggle. Some people feel like it's really hard. I go shopping and I don't like the stuff that fits the rules. I like the stuff that doesn't. Fine. That's where you are now. You're not bad. You're just a person. It's fine. But it's good to ask, what is that desire to show more from? And it's not from a bad thing. It's from a desire to feel good. It's from a desire to feel beautiful, if that's your definition of beauty. It's from a desire to feel like you have something to contribute to the world. Everybody wants to know that they're contributing to the world. Because listen, we all have Elohim in us. And Hashem is the ultimate creator. He's the creator. We all want to create. No one wants to feel like their existence adds nothing. So some people get that by covering themselves in tattoos to feel like they have the most interesting tattoos that there are. They feel like they're adding to the world that way. And some people feel that they're adding to the world by starting an organization. Some people feel adding to the world by being kind. Some people feel they're adding to the world by doing a good job of their davening. Everyone wants to feel they're adding. And if someone feels I have nothing to add except for my physical beauty, it's going to be really hard for them to wear that uniform. It's going to be really hard and we need to have compassion. And if that's you, have compassion on yourself. Like that's hard. But that's what people breaching Tzniyas means. It's like I can't hold myself in, in that way because this is all I have to add to the world. And of course that's not true. Of course they have more to add, but they're not feeling it right now for whatever hundred of reasons. That's, Yeah. And likewise, when someone's covering themselves like in a tent, you know, and they're doing what they think is sneas, but it's actually, you know, like they're covering themselves completely. That's a distortion of what sneas is looking is is really looking for. Sneas is dignity. That's not dignity. That's shame, right? If you cover your face and you cover your form, and no one can tell that it's a person, that's shame. Okay. Um, okay. So. Um, so we talked about how clothing enhances our appearance. So it's there to cover what should be hidden and to make known what should be known. So it has like two opposite uses, clothing. Question, comment? Okay. In the next, yeah? No. In the next one, um, um, we're going to talk about her giving again. So um, in Khaftal, we noticed, it, we said sadin, which is like a blanket. She makes and she sells it. And a belt, she, it says gives, but in the layer one, we just said sells to the Kanani. And in layer one, we said the Kanani was the, 
a merchant. A Kanani is a merchant. It's another way of saying a merchant. It also means, because probably the people that stayed in Canaan that were in Jewish used merchants, being merchants. I don't know why. Kanani means merchant. Okay. So Rav Hirsch, Rav Shamshan Fal Hirsch, he says, wait a second. There's a belt and a blanket. Did that, does anybody sew at all? Like sew new garments or take something to a seamstress to be made? Did you ever have a gown made? Okay. So you buy cloth. And what is there always after they cut out the shape of the dress? There's always leftovers. You can't, otherwise it's a rectangle. And nobody, except for the tent people, are going to wear a rectangle dress. So, right? So, so she has a sudden, she makes a sudden, and she sells it. But Tim Kaur, she sells it. So she's, she's resourceful. She earns money. And then the belt is the leftover fabric. She takes the leftover fabric and she makes it into a belt to give to a Rav Hirsch says it means a poor peddler. So in this plastic, we see she doesn't waste, and she gives tzedakah. To expand what this means, let's expand this to our lives if we're not sewing and giving this to poor peddlers. To expand what this means, it means she takes care of her family, and with the resources and time left over, she does chesed. So let's think about that, you know, even if we're not, yeah, like making a blanket and giving the belt to the poor peddler, we, um, we take, we have our responsibilities in proper order. First comes my commitments and, uh, you know, at your stage, it's school, oh, sorry, it's the same, but, um, you know, and then, and then other things that come with school and then, you know, and then hopefully like during, I mean, you know, vacations and stuff, it's your family's needs first, your mother and, you know, your, 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 uh, household and then your community and doing chesed, they say, and it's true that chesed begins at home. That's true. And there are women who are very involved in chesed in the community and their family is waiting for their attention. It ha- could happen. It comes from a good thing, but it could happen and we need to be checking in. Okay. Now, it doesn't look the same for everybody. People have different levels of energy and some women really need to get out of the house. And many women really need to do stuff. Some people need to be in the community. I'll just say it's a lot easier. You know, that example we gave last class with the woman going to the foster home or orphan care, whatever it would be. They don't have orphanages in America. That's why I didn't say that. But it's really like, you know, a building where there's like all these unfortunate children. That example, it's a lot easier to go there because you feel glamorous. You feel like you're doing chesed, you know, it's like, you're famous now and just stuck at home, you know, wake up another time with the teething baby. That doesn't feel very glamorous. It doesn't feel like anything special, especially where things, everything today is like about what you can publicize, you know? So like, it's, it's just, it's hard to remember like the order of priorities and it doesn't have to be a suffering experience. It could be a pleasure if we learn our proper mindsets. So that was Pasuk Haftal. So we're really close to the end. Um, probably next class we'll finish and review. Um, here, let's. What's the test? I'll tell you all about it. I could tell you everything. 